In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Luke chapter 2, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds, they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And then on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. You know, maybe some of you look at Christmas and you see it as a calendar event. You see it as December the 25th, and you don't recognize it much more in front of that or beyond it. Maybe there's some traditions that fall in line with Christmas Eve, coming to a service or rushing to family and making sure that everybody has their time with you and your kids and everyone has their meal together. And then after that, it's go about your business. But I want to present to you this morning that maybe Christmas is more than just an event. Maybe it's something more than just a a date on the calendar. Maybe Christmas is about remembering the greatest revelation God has ever brought to us. Now, let me just explain for a moment, because there's two ways in which God has primarily revealed himself to us. There's what is called general revelation. General revelation has to do with God just being seen in his creation. You recognize that this world is so complex, and there's, there's got to be a designer to all of this. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 these words. For ever since the world was created, people had, had seen the earth and the sky. And through everything God made, they clearly see his invisible qualities, his internal powers, his divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. What's Paul saying? He's saying you can just look out to the heavens. 
You can see the sky. You can see the clouds form above. You can look out into the sunrise or sunset. You can climb a peak of mountains and you can look across the valley. You can see trees grow before your eyes year after year. You can see animals run across the field and you can take that in. And as John Glenn, one of our astronauts once said is, how do you look out at this world and not recognize that God has made all of this? Certainly, it should strengthen our faith. And though you may have never thought about this, that you are one of God's key ways in which he has revealed himself to us. You are. The Bible tells us that we are what is called imago Dei. We are created in God's image. That you and I have this creation that God has put within us that we have some little aspects of God in us. When you forgive you're like God. When you love unconditionally, you're like God. When you, when you are kind to others, when you have justice towards others, you are showing the image of God. You're revealing God to others. That's general revelation. Then there's what's called special revelation. This is where God breaks out of human realm and he goes beyond human limitations and he does something extra special. I mean, think for example, the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea with Moses and the Israelites. Something special took place there. It wasn't some kind of weather phenomenon. It wasn't a, a comet that struck across the sky like the movie shows in Exodus and all of a sudden the next day the waters have parted. No, the staff hit the water and there was this great divine miraculous thing that took place where the, the sea parted and dry ground came before them and all the Israelites who passed by didn't say, well, that was a part of the forecast. No, they said this is a great thing that God has done. Divinity has shown up before us. God has revealed himself that he has a heart for us, that he wants to save us, these people, and in a very special way. God broke the mold of the laws of this world that he set into place, and he did something very unique that day. God has revealed himself through the scriptures, what we had just read. And the Bible, which many of us have on a coffee table or on a bookshelf or next to us on the nightstand, that is a special revelation which God has said, this is my word to you. Now think about the Bible for a minute. Think about the complexities just of the Bible. It's not just one book. It's 66 books. It's a library of books that have been pressed together behind this leather binding here. 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years, and yet there is one common theme throughout it. How God has worked through history to save and redeem people like you and me. 1,500 years by 40 authors, three different languages, written in three different continents, and yet it all culminates harmoniously together only God could do that. That's why the Apostle Paul looked at a young man like Timothy and said, hey, brother, you got to say, this stuff is God-breathed here. God's word is behind this. This is God's inspired word. Paul recognized it as a special revelation. This book is important. And while it may be in every hotel across the nation, let's not, let's not dumb it down. This book is is the word of God given to us. It's special 
in its form of poetry and stories and history and facts and figures and eyewitnesses' account all culminated together to bring to us this one big theme that God has been working since day one to save you and to save me and to save your children and and that crazy aunt that you're going to meet here pretty soon this week. God's saying, I am here to save everybody. Now, the ultimate form of special revelation is what we just read, Luke chapter 2. I mean, how can that not be the greatest culmination of special revelation? God shows up. Emmanuel, God is with us. And there he is in the fragileness of this baby that's in this manger in this obscure village called Bethlehem. And he says, I'm going to entrust my care to the hands of a teenager? I'm going to entrust my care to a couple that is on the fence about whether they should get married or not? And God says, yeah, I'll be helpless. I'll walk in the shoes of my creation, but yet I'll do it differently. I'll do it in a way in which it's never been done before. I'll do it where the relationship that was originally established with God will never be broken. You see, we've all broken the relationship. We've fractured the relationship that God originally intended to have with us. Whether it's a lie that you told in the third grade, whether it's multiple lies that you've told to the IRS to gain some more favor on your end. Maybe it is in some way something you've done of regretfulness of the past, or maybe it's something that you're scheming up for your tomorrows. God says, we've broken the relationship. The scripture puts it like this, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of of God and Jesus arrives God in the flesh Emmanuel God with us and here he comes with this great herald message the message is this that God has an immense desire to bring peace to your life isn't that what the angels declared in a in a choirly voice that God wants to bring peace to us This is crazy because it's hard to define because so many of us have a different idea of what peace might be in our world. This is a pretty mixed up, shook up kind of a world. And so we have a different understanding. Every one of us has a different understanding of what peace might be. I mean, if you're a single or if you're a mother that that is helping your kids at home, you're just a stay-at-home mom, you're always helping your kids. Now, peace for you might be to get away from your kids for a little bit and go take a day at the spa. Now, if you're a working mother and you don't get to see your kids as often as you like, peace for you might be taking a day off and getting in the midst of your kids for a while. That's two different ideas of peace, don't you see? I think most of the time when we think of peace, we think about ways in which our problem can be solved. We think about, well, we're hurting financially. The money's tight, so peace maybe for you right now is to have some more cash in your account. Maybe you feel the the fatigue of the body, and you feel the pains and the aches and the onset of maybe a sickness, and it seems to be lingering around, and maybe for peace, for use, just to say, I wish I could find a doctor or there was a medicine out there that could cure all this stuff up, because if there was, then I'd have some peace. Maybe it's finding a job. Peace is finding a job for you. I mean, a job that's steady and that can pay the bills and make ends meet for you, because now then if you were to find that job, you and your wife could stop worrying and you could really start living again. But what I think is ironic is that some of the things that we long for to bring us peace often can bring us heartache. A job can bring you heartache. Money can bring you heartache. And you think about people, young people especially, that are just wanting so 
desperately to get into a relationship, a loving relationship. And you have men and women, young men and women that are saying, I just want to find Mr. or Mrs. Right. And some of you have been married a long time saying, well, come on, honey, you know, it's not as good as it looks all the time. <laughs> I heard about a wife who had, was just at her it's win, it, wits end with her husband, and she prayed, dear God, I prayed for wisdom to understand my husband. I prayed for love to forgive him and patience for his moodiness. But please, Lord, don't give me strength, because if you do, I'll beat him to death. You know that some of the things can be ultimate marital bliss. There are times when things can be wonderful. But that same person whom you just had this wonderful bliss moment with or, or this wonderful time of commitment and love relationship, they can get so irritable to you. That's what my wife's told me, at least. <laughs> there are moments where the things that we think will bring us peace will actually bring us some more chaos. The Bible says specifically that children are a, a heritage from the Lord, that they're a blessing from God, but have you met my kids? I mean, are they always a blessing? Sometimes those kids can bring you so much strife, strife and so much stress, can't they? How about vacations? Some of us say, if I could just get away from here and we could just go on vacation, then I would have a little bit of peace, but everything's going good, right, until the smoke comes out from under the hood. Or everything's fine until you miss your flight or the luggage doesn't make it to your destination. And then what? Here's what I'm getting at. It's what God is getting at. There are moments of peace. You're going to have moments of peace. You can go take two weeks vacation and you can find a little bit of peace. You'll have moments of bliss within the relationship. You'll have times with, with great success and love in raising kids. You'll have phenomenal times and to be able to handle your money and to use it wisely and correctly. But there are going to be times when things just get out of whack because this is a mixed up, shook up world and there's nothing perfect about it. So you can go and search for all that momentary peace that you want. But God says, I've got something better to offer you. I've got lasting peace to offer you. I've got something that will settle your soul down. Ain't no drug in the world that can do that. Ain't no relationship in this world that can do that. Not enough money in this world that can settle your soul. Some of you aren't aware of this. And it might come as a shock to you. That if you are outside of Christ, if, if you're someone that is on the fence about Jesus, you've never committed your life to Christ, did you know that you're an enemy of God? Those aren't my words. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5. He says, so through Christ we surely be saved from God's anger because we've been made right with God by the blood of Christ's death while we were enemies of God. While we were God's enemies, he made us his friends through the death of his son. But some of you have not accepted his son. You haven't accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. In a sense, God's saying, my son Jesus is this peace treaty which I'm offering to you. Not momentary peace, lasting peace, something that will settle your soul, but yet you're unwilling to sign. You're unwilling to agree. And since you're unwilling to agree, there's got to be a mutual decision of peace. I guess in some ways, as I've heard one person say, when we sign is when we enter the covenant through baptism. We sign on the dotted line and say, God, we're making peace with you. Will you be the Lord of our life? 
Paul also says in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been made right with God, in God's sight by faith, we have, now catch this, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because our faith, Christ has brought us into this place, I love this line, of undeserved privilege where we stand. Some of you have signed the peace treaty with God. You've made peace with God, and it's a lasting peace. You are in a spot, we are in a spot, remember this, we're in a spot of undeserved privilege. We don't belong here. We don't belong to have peace with God, but God sent us Jesus so that we could have peace with him. Undeserved privilege we stand in, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. See, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you enter a peace agreement, a covenant with God that says, I accept your terms of peace. It's not momentary peace. It doesn't mean your finances are going to get better. It doesn't mean your relationships are all of a sudden going to smooth out now. It doesn't mean that your hedonistic children are all of a sudden going to become heavenly-like all of a sudden. It's not going to work that way. But your soul, you'll have complete confidence that your soul is secured. Not insurance, you'll have assurance because of Jesus Christ and the peace He offers you. Check out the peace He offers us. This is very liberating in what... Christ came to do. See, December the 25th is just not an event. It is a revelation about what God is doing for us and what He wants in our life. And here's what God wants in your life. He wants you to have peace from your past. He wants you to peace from your past. A few years ago, I read this story about a guy by the name of Frank Julian. He died about the age of 80. uh, His wife and his nine kids were just kind of getting his personal effects squared away and so some things were be taken to the goodwill and they're getting his accounts lined out so they had to go back and forth from the bank and getting his insurance policies lined out and recognize he had a storage bin and a storage facility a, a, a storage locker so they went there and they they went to go clean it out and when they did they discovered the most grisly discovery see in a freezer that was tucked away in the corner when they opened it they found a decomposing body that had been there for about 28 years. It seems that their father, Frank, had gotten a fight with a woman in the summer of 1983 and had beaten her to death and had been storing her body in that locker, in that freezer, hiding it. You want to talk about skeletons in the closet. That's Frank's story. Friends, we all have stories where we're hiding something or we've got skeletons that sooner or later, maybe or not, they're going to be found, but God ultimately knows about them. And they ruin and they reek up our past and they make it rank sometimes. I mean, is there anything in your past that is causing you shame? Anything in your past that's causing you embarrassment or guilt? Here's what I'm saying. Jesus made it possible that you can have peace with God and then you can have peace with your past because it's forgiven. Is there anything in your past that brings you sadness or grief? How about this? Anything in your past that brings you regret? I shouldn't have done that. I wish I would have never done it. I wish I would have never said it. I wish I would have had that attitude towards that person. God says, oh, whoa, I can forgive you of that. And I can help you to begin to square that away and make it right with other people and make it right within your world. 
Just give me the shot. Give me the opportunity because that's why I came. That's why I walked amongst you to bring peace, lasting peace for your unsettled soul. Peace from your past. Let me tell you how God talks about our past. How he talks about the things that have ruined the relationship with him. Our sin, our disobedience towards God. He says, as far as east is from west. That's as far as I've removed our tra- your transgressions from me. Which is great, because only a creator can say that. Because he knows that east and west have no end. It just continues. If you would have said north and south, you would have said, well, there's a north pole, south pole. There's an end and a beginning there. But God said, no, 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 no. I'm removing your sin as far as possible from you when you accept my peace treaty. We all know what winters look like around here in Indiana. Sometimes they are so gray and dirty and dry. And they just sometimes, when you look out into the woods, they just, it's not a pleasant sight. But then there is that beautiful snowfall that we get. And it covers and blankets the ground and the trees and the branches are just thick with snow and it is absolutely gorgeous. And it makes all that dirty stuff look great. Let me tell you how God talks about our sin in Isaiah. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though your life may be dirty, I can purify it and cover it with Jesus Christ, my son's shed blood he can bring you peace from your past lasting peace he can bring peace to your present today did you know that if you're outside of jesus christ if you're outside of jesus christ you'll never have lasting peace in your heart or soul or your mind it will constantly elude you and i love what jesus told his disciples towards the very end of his ministry before he went to the cross in in jerusalem Jesus said in John chapter 14, I'm leaving you with a gift. Now here's the gift. He's telling us, he's leaving us a gift. He says, a gift of peace of mind and heart. Sometimes we scramble through this text so fast, we forget this, that Jesus says, I'm leaving you a gift, a gift of peace of, of what? Mind and peace of heart. Don't you wish you had some peace of mind and peace of heart? Well, you can in Christ. And the peace I give, check this out, it isn't fragile. It can't be broken very easily, like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or don't be afraid. Jesus is saying, I'll give you peace here and I'll give you peace here. Let me tell you what this peace looks like. There's probably no better example in all of Scripture in understanding what peace and perseverance is than the guy by the name of Paul, who was one of the apostles, a guy who proclaimed Jesus Christ. Because later in his life, he becomes falsely accused of a crime. He just kind of follows along with it. And he goes from one prison system to another prison system to another prison system. till he finds himself older in years in Rome under house arrest. And some people believe that there might have even been a guard that was shackled to him 24 hours a day as he wrote the the later half of the New Testament, the, the prison epistles, so they're called. And so here's this older man, and his his eyes are growing dark, and he has this horrific experience of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I just want to read to you, in his own words, his crazy experience because he followed Jesus Christ. Listen to these words in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, Three times... I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in open sea. 
I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. Look, this brother's been in danger. I think is what he's getting at. I've labored and I've toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Here's a guy saying, look, I am just a, a, a ball of nerves here. Life has not been pleasant for me at all times. Now catch what he says later in life in the book of Philippians. Because remember we did a study on the book of Philippians. And if we got anything out of it, we realized that the theme of that book by this guy whose life by all accounts is miserable, the theme of that book is joy. Now here's what he says in that book, Philippians. Do not worry about anything. That comes from a guy who's been beaten with rods, shipwrecked, spent night in the open sea, is in danger, 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 danger. He says, you don't worry about anything. But pray and ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks. You want to see a guy that knows how to take this chaos of life and say, here's how you find peace? Look at Paul. And then he says, and God's peace. Check it out. And God's peace, which is so great, we can't understand it. Some of you know it better in a different way. The peace that surpasses all understanding. We can't understand this peace will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You ever wonder why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace? Because of things like that. My life is confusing. It's reckless. It's crazy. It's hectic. It has been a burdensome life if you were to take inventory of it. But because of Christ, I don't have panic. I don't see problems. I see perseverance. I see, I see peace. I heard the story, I read the story this week about an 85-year-old nun that got trapped in an elevator for three nights and four days. CNN did an interview with her. The electricity had gone out in her building. She couldn't get cell phone signal in it. Here's what she had to live on. A jar of water, some celery sticks, and some cough drops. And so the reporter is asking her how she was able to to keep her wit and to keep herself without losing it in that little box for, for four days. Here's her explanation. She says, it was either panic or it was pray. So I started to pray. She says, immediately when I did, I felt God's presence in the elevator. She continued the interview and she said, I believe that God's presence was my strength and my joy. I felt God's presence immediately. I felt like he provided, check this out. I felt like he provided this opportunity. When is the getting stuck in an elevator an opportunity? To get closer to God. I mean, that's being pressed, but not crushed. That's being persecuted, but but not abandoned. That's being struck down, but, but not destroyed. That's choosing peace in Christ rather than the pressures of this world, isn't it? God offers us peace from our past, peace in our present, peace for the future. You know, there are so much anxieties that go along with the future. 
Most of the medications that are given for us for anxiety medications are not the anxieties that we face today. They're designed for the anxieties that we face tomorrow. And there have been clinically studies that show that only 8% of the things that we worry about are things worth worrying about. The other 92% of the stuff we shouldn't even be worrying about because it's probably not even going to happen or it's completely out of our control. 8%. I mean, think about the things we worry about. The other night, I was kept up up i couldn't sleep because i was wondering what it would be like if my kids were to die young they're not dying they're alive and well but that thought crossed my mind i mean have you ever been kept up what if what if i lost my job what what if my spouse passed away with my kids got sick what if i got bad news from the doctor things that could happen but aren't happening And yet we're all anxious about things that haven't even happened yet. We're thinking about the worst and we're not even in the present of the moment. And what it does, it robs us of our sleep, it robs us of our health, it robs us of our joy, it robs us of our peace. And God's saying, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. Don't you remember Jesus' teaching? Jesus' teaching was just, would you look at the world for a moment? Look at the things I've created. They don't worry. Birds don't worry. Animals don't worry. They're given everything they need. Jesus says, who of you can add a single hair or a single day to your life by worrying? You can't. But trust God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these things will be given unto you. You seek, you, you seek God. Don't you remember Romans 5, 1? We read it. Since we've been made right in God's side by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. Who doesn't want some peace? That's lasting peace. On December the 7th, 1914, it was the 100th year anniversary, just this last December 7th, of what was called the unofficial Christmas truth of World War I. Some of you know the story, and according to NPR, National Public Radio, the story is kind of fictitious in some ways. I don't care what it is. It's a good story. But Pope Benedict... The 15th wanted a temporary truce to take place over Christmas, but none of the warring countries wanted anything to do with it. But the soldiers who were in the trenches, primarily on the Western Front, had heard what Pope Benedict had wanted, and so Christmas Eve, the firing of bullets and the firing of cannons began to dwindle off towards the night, And then you could hear singing from the German side. You could hear the tuba playing on the German side. And those who are our allies, primary English, could understand the tune and they would sing to the music. Dawn broke. Sun rose. Christmas Day. Some Germans got out of their trenches and they walked what was called across no man's land. Pulled barbed wire away and walked through the, the ruts from where the shells had hit. The Allies had thought it was a trap. They thought that the Germans were trying to lure them out of their trenches, but then they discovered they weren't, they, they weren't armed. And then one by one, some of the Allies, more brave than others, got up and they walked across to no man's land, met in the middle, shook hands, shared, shared whiskey, <laughs> shared cigars, shared cigarettes, even played a game of soccer. 
sang Christmas carols. Supposedly one of them brought in a Christmas tree. They hugged, they shook hands. 24 hours ago they were shooting at each other. As the sun was setting, they took time to retrieve their fallen comrades from the middle of the battlefield. And so unfortunately, because it's just human nature, December the 26th, the war continued. Conflict continued. There is no lasting peace apart from Jesus Christ. Friends, is the Christmas truth of 1914 an illustration of your life? Just hoping for a day when the turkey doesn't burn and everyone arrives on time. And the gifts are just perfect for everybody because that's the day of peace you've been looking forward to. Because for you, Christmas is an event. It's a check mark on the calendar and you're just hoping that peace will be a day out of the year. But it could be what Christ has offered us. Peace that's lasting. Peace from your past because you know you've been forgiven. Peace in the present because you know He is with you. Peace for your tomorrows because of the assurance of what Christ has done on your behalf on the cross. Today, there is only one call. That call is to sign the peace treaty with God. To be baptized into Christ, to put yourself to death and arise in a new life, and I can't think of a better time of the year to do that than the day where we remember and celebrate what God revealed to us, that He immensely wants to have peace for your life through Jesus Christ.